0: Welcome to the Final Draft Podcast. My name is Andrew Popel, and today I'm joined on the show by Emily Spur. Now, the Final Draft Podcast explores books, writing, and literary culture. Every week, I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. And at Final Draft, we're dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to the classics that you know and love. Each of these conversations is a way to look into the issues that drive the author's storytelling, a way to help you discover more from the books you love because these are the stories that make us who we are. To SEO broadcast from the lands of the Gadigal people. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and the Gunangara people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands and treaty has never been made with Australia's First Nations. Now, today I'm joined on the show by Emily Spur. Emily is the author of A Million Things, and her new book is called Beatrix and Fred – I loved a million things, it surprised me, it warmed my heart, it shocked me. And Emily, in Beatrix and Fred, she has done it again. I don't even know what I can say about this book, so I'm gonna let Emily introduce it, and I think I think you're gonna find some surprising turns in this conversation. So join me as we discover Emily Spurs, Beatrix and Fred. Uh-huh. My name is Andrew Popel and it's my pleasure to be welcoming to the show, Emily Spur. Emily is the author of The Gorgeous and Surprising a Million Things. She is joining us today with the equally gorgeous and perhaps even more surprising Beatrix and Fred. Emily, we, I've been looking forward to this chat. Thank you so much for joining me again.
1: Thanks, Andrew. It's great to be here. I have been looking forward to this chat, I have to say. It's the highlight of my week. <laughs>
0: this is this is such a beautiful book, such a surprising book. Um I want, to, I want to talk about... It's called Beatrix and Fred. I want to talk about Beatrix. Beatrix is aggressively alone. If you were to quote Sartre's Hell is Other People to her, Beatrix would probably remind you that you are one of those other people. Beatrix of solitude is getting out of hand, but adopting a stalker was not on her bingo card of ways to break out of her shell. I love it. <laughs> so, um, so, Emily, we have a bit of a yeah. situation in this conversation when it comes to what we can and can't talk about without giving away too much. So, I'm just going to open up the conversation by noting that it's kind of wild that we're, we're chatting in the same week that a parasitic worm was found in an Australian woman's brain.
1: No, I feel like it's the universe giving me a fist bump. Mm. <laughs> and then I'm like... If you, yeah, that's, is that a spoiler? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. it's
0: only a spoiler if you've read the book and then technically oh, you can't true. have the book spoiled for you.
1: Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, no, I loved that. Um, in fact, um, Zoe, who is the um, voice actor who's done the audiobook, she sent me a link to the article going, can you believe this? Um, to which my response is, yeah, I could totally believe that. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's pretty incredible, and I, I think a lot of people, like Australia, Australia seems to be the centre of, of world news at the moment for all the weirdest reasons. There's that, there's the mushroom thing, and, and for, for me, I'm just kind of like as much as everyone is kind of losing their mind at this story, people that have read Beatrix and Fred are losing their mind, like, just a little bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the terrifying synchronicity. <laughs>
0: mm, mm. I mean, I hope, I hope right now my wish, my wish for you, my wish for the world is that people who have been considering <coughs> reading Beatrix and Fred are frantically Googling this and going, like, what am I getting myself into? It's weird. It is really weird. <laughs> you, um, I, felt, I felt so fortunate. You included a beautiful note in my review copy where you told me how you loved your characters fiercely, given my introduction, given Beatrix's general misanthropy, perhaps you should give her a bit of a softer introduction. Um, you know, let people know a little bit more than her usual circle gets from her.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. So, she's, um, God, how do you describe Beatrix? She is uh, a loner. Um, she's probably drinking more than she should. Um, she, yeah, you know, slightly misanthropic. Um, and. Her best friend, other than her work-love-hate relationship-only friend, Ray, is a stuffed canary called Horatio. Mm. Um, she is quite aware that the place that she's landed in life is not good for her. Um, and um, But she's really angry and she kind of just doesn't give a shit and she doesn't see other people's um, reactions or to her or emotions is her problem. You know, they're adults. They can look after themselves. Um, But at the same time, I think all that anger um, is really just because it's easier than being sad. Yeah.
0: (laughs) It's easy to see on the page how a character like Beatrix is compelling, but... I feel like it's a little harder to just conceive of that character from nowhere. Like, where does where does Beatrix begin with you? What what was the idea that you were exploring as Beatrix sort of sprung fully formed from your your brain garden?
1: Um, just between you and me and whoever's listening, I think um, Beatrix is a little bit me. <laughs> Sometimes I think I think maybe we all have an inner Beatrix, um, and certainly when I was writing this, I mean, this certainly is not a pandemic novel, but it was written during the pandemic and it was written in Melbourne where we had the dubious distinction of being the most lockdown city in the world. Mm. Um, and, you know, I'm working in a tiny little cupboard. Um, basically, i got my kids at home, my partner's at home, our house is tiny. Um, you know, we're dealing with all of this other stress. My partner's job disappeared. Um you know, I'm working, I'm trying to write a book, which I've already taken the advance for. It's paying the mortgage currently, so I can't give it back. So there was a lot of stress going on. Um, and on top of that, I was actually um, going through perimenopause, um, constantly being told by the medical profession that that couldn't possibly be happening because I was too young. Um, and the you know Melbourne, the city, was losing its collective mind around me, Um, I, to a certain extent, was losing my mind, but I was also weirdly aware of why that was, which in some odd way made it easier to to bear, I suppose. I kind of knew why I wasn't feeling right and you could kind of sit with it. Um, And I guess Beatrix really grew out of that. Um, I knew from the start with this novel um, that Beatrix had lost hope that that was her character. There was no hope left. And when there's no hope, what's the point? Um, And I suppose in in many ways, Fred was the unlikely person um, to reintroduce that to her. Um, And I guess all of those kind of, you know, the the pandemic and, you know, hormonal stuff and all of that kind of converged to give me the the perfect in um, to, to, to create her and do that, and and it was bloody delightful, I have to say, to have this rampaging, angry person to write because, oh God, it was a relief. Now, <laughs> I, I,
0: I think, again, for someone who's read the book, I can say, usually nod along and say, I can, I can see how you're exploring all of that, and then a little part of me says, and there, there's just a cut, there's a, with a couple of sentences. I feel like I could hook just about anyone with eyes and ears into this book, but it's <clears throat> it's so wild with twists and turns. I might borrow from Beatrix when I suggest the audience might not believe us. I mean, heck, Beatrix doesn't even uh, necessarily believe herself. So, before we, we tr- trudge through this sort of minefield, do you have any ground rules for talking about Beatrix and Fred?
1: Look, um, I don't want to spoil it. Um, for people who haven't read it, and and the people that have read it have made it very clear to me that one of the great joys was letting it unfold, mm. um, and uh, um, so I suppose I don't really want to give away the nature of the thing. Does mm. that, <laughs> let's be really yeah. coy with what I'm saying. Um, so if we could kind of keep it. Um, general when it comes to the actual nature of the thing, um, that would be good. Um, but otherwise I'm kind of, I'm kind of loosey goosey and I'm happy to, to talk about whatever. And um, I think if we start straying into that territory, we, we'll, we'll ring fence it a little bit. Maybe awesome. yeah. How does that sound?
0: I mean, section one is called first contact, which again, if you know, you know. Um, so, all right, I'm, I think I'm safe talking (laughs) past the title to section one. All right, now let's see how we go. Let's see how we go. Beatrix Beatrix finds herself in this really tricky situation because of how isolated she is. And when she notices a woman recurring throughout her day, seemingly following her, Beatrix, she kind of lacks this stable base of people to check in with she kind of doubts her own mind. She doubts her own reality. And this this leads to her seeking medical help. She, just, she really wants someone to tell her that she's not crazy or that she is. And then, okay, great. I can get along, get on with that. There's a lot that the book has to say about the medical establishment, but I thought we might start with how Beatrix's search for answers. Not only does not reassure her, but it also throws up complications that leave her feeling further from comfort. You've already touched on this.
1: Yeah, um, for where to start with that one. Um, I and mean, that was certainly very much part of the, the process. When I started writing um, the book, it was all from Beatrix's tight perspective. So it's a third person perspective, but it's very tightly. Uh, oh, another spoiler there, I suppose, but we'll leave that. Very mm-hmm. tightly um, closed in on, on Beatrix. I mean, it was all from her perspective.
0: We're sort of inside um, her head looking out.
1: Yeah, yeah, but it was definitely from a third yeah, wink, wink. Um, but it was definitely the third person. Um, and so, I was thinking as I'm writing, you know, as as you do, um, how would this feel? What would I think if this was unfolding in front of me? I would be questioning my sanity. And as you said, she's got absolutely no one to check in with, really um and and she's reached that point of isolation where she's also lost trust mm. um, in other people as well. So there's no one that she's comfortable um, really approaching um, about that. So she's trying to figure it out herself. She's genuinely questioning her sanity. she's not sure what's going on. Um, and when I first my first draft of the book, um as all of this unfolds, um when, everything became clear, like we're, we're aware of what is going on and, and what is the, the, the true nature and the true intentions of Fred. Um, it, it read very much like a, a genre switch, um, which was very exciting and fun but also quite dangerous, I Just think, what? in terms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a good point. Um, you know, it's a psychological thriller wrapped in a mystery, wrapped in a love story. Um so there was a bit of a, um, a genre switch there that was, you know, quite head spinny. Um, and, of course, that runs the risk of, of alienating who's reading because you think it's one thing and then suddenly it's something else. And it was so important to me that I bring the reader with me. I was desperate to do that, which is why I thought of, I was so closely following um, how Beatrix might be interpreting this and what she would be thinking and what she would be questioning. Um, but I didn't. I didn't want that to happen. I wanted you coming with me. Mm. So um, when the, it became clear that that's kind of how that was feeling for the reader, I um, introduced the voice of Fred. So suddenly we had her in there as well. Um, and that introduced this idea that perhaps things aren't quite what they seem and perhaps there is actually something else going on here right from the start. Um And I think that sort of gave a bit of a a counterbalance to what we're seeing from Beatrix's perspective um, as she, you know, questioned everything. And Fred makes her question everything, like literally everything. It completely turns her life upside down, um, which was really fun to write. Did I answer the question? I went off on a tangent.
0: Sorry. No, I I mean, I think there's so much more we can pick up on here. But... (laughs) I'm just in, in my head. So I I was thinking about what you were saying there, especially about the genre shift, and I want to jump ahead in my notes uh, or in my questions because, um, yeah, in, in my notes, I included a little comment to myself. Like I, I, I write little comments or quotes that will help me construct questions later. And I just included a little comment. Um, I was about a fifth of the way through. In fact, I know I was on page 67 um, and I've just actually opened up to page 67. I'm like, what actually inspired me to write this? The note just says, is this a horror story?
1: Yes. So oh, not, that, that.
0: N- not a thriller. Yeah. Not a thriller. I'm like, I'm thinking this is this is horror.
1: Absolutely. It's goddamn creepy. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, and it is. It's so creepy. And it's, it's, um, and when you, you know, it just gets creepier the more you think about it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was definitely um, deliberate. And certainly, um. That was something, when I was writing it in my head, it was a real creepy, creepy, creepy story. And that's where I was going. And I wanted something really sort of creepy. It's under my skin. I can't quite sit still. I feel like there's someone tapping the back of my neck. Creepy. Um, and then, of course, <laughs> Beatrix and Fred kept being so goddamn funny, mm. um, which was fun for me to write. It was a bit of a release. Um, but I was worried there that it was slipping into territory where to, to counterpose the weirdness, I was trying to, you know, make it mm.
0: Um
1: And I fought that for a long time. You know, I kept – there's those scenes where, you know, there's a lot of banter and it's quite fun and um, was so easy to write. So I was telling myself they couldn't then be worth anything because I <laughs> were too easy. Um, and uh, it took me a long time to realise that I needed to stop fighting. Beatrix and Frieda and just let them be who they were on the page. And certainly that made my life a lot easier when I gave in. So it is creepy, 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 Um, but it is also quite fun Um, and um, a little bit absurd as well, I Mm. think. You know, which which is life, I think. As humans, we do have a tendency to laugh into the dark. Um, and certainly, we see that from both Beatrix and Fred. Um, and I think that's kind of what I was doing when I was writing the novel, a little bit. If I'm going to get, you know, very self-reflective about it.
0: I um, uh, amongst my amongst my notes here. I've also just written this would have been a very different interview if we'd spoken around page sixty-seven when I thought it was a horror story. You've already you've already heralded um, the idea of a genre shift. So I feel reasonably safe in in sort of pursuing this line of questioning. I feel like the reader's experience of Beatrix and Fred is going to really hinge on how much they let go or hold on to that initial impression of a horror story. Um, and I, I have a question much, much later that, that might tap into this, but I just wanted to reflect on a little part of me, like it it held on to it just a little bit, which Created a, a, a really interesting frisson as you were exploring this relationship that um that evolves. Um, I want yeah. yeah. Sorry.
1: As I, no, I was say, I think I really love that um, because their relationship is quite strange and and beautiful. I think, um, but when you sit back and examine it, it is also quite horrifying. Hmm. Um, so I like that that little little frisson of horror mm. hangs with you. Um, and certainly I think that's quite appropriate. Um, and that's kind of a, when you consider all the elements of this story, it it never quite allows you to be fully balanced. Mm. It's always um, tipping you one way or the other. And that's kind of what I, I wanted. I didn't want, I mean, I don't mean that it's an uncomfortable read because that doesn't sound fun. Um but certainly, it's um, most like you know, you it's can like have I'm,
0: getting scared. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like you know a balance board that you enjoy. Um, you're sort of working as you're reading to to find your equilibrium because mm. there's a lot going on, um, and also um, it's it's hard to know how to feel about that um, mm. because there is this gorgeous, beautiful unfolding, fun, um, deep relationship forming, you know, against Beatrix's will, really, at the start. Um, She did not want to be friends. Um, But along with that, there is an underlying horror of the whole situation. And, you know, it's it's a little horrific.
0: (laughs) I I had my – I came up with my own – personal theory. And I don't think, I don't think it's just like, Hey, I that- love
1: your personal theories. You're one for a million things that it was, what is it? The antidote to Norman Bates. I love Oh ah,
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, and I don't feel like, I don't feel like this one's kind of like hand that boy a medal type of thing. I, I think this, this is there on the page, but as Beatrix is navigating the medical establishment, as she's searching for answers, as she's wondering if she can even trust her own mind, it struck me how frightening that shift in sense of self must be. And that got me thinking so after after I kind of moved past this is just a clear-cut sort of horror story, I realized the the journey, the genre shifts the way that Beatrix was coming to look at things or I was coming to look at things through Beatrix's eyes very much mapped onto that journey and just this idea that like what is what is truly difficult for Beatrix is this sense that the sands are shifting under her, something is changing, whether she likes it or not. And and how how ridiculous it is actually our, our sense of self that it's weird how we can go through like the first 20 years of our life where we we change in unrecognizable ways and just go, yeah, cool. And then we spend the next 20 years of our life wringing our hands at this idea of age. And it's just like what the- the change is quite minimal, but somehow that is the thing that we we expected to stay the same. And Beatrix is going through that, and you just very gorgeously translate it into these genre elements that play out in her in her sort of uh, internal world.
1: Yay! Oh, thanks. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, and you're right. We do. Um, I mean, change is really threatening as well, mm. um, and and how we think about it and how we approach it um determines how threatening that's going to be um, And we have this uh, concept of self and concept of um, understanding that that we are somehow um, one thing throughout all of mm. these changes and we can rely on you know perhaps some center point within us um, that will make sense of the rest of the world um, And it's it's sort of a, an instinctive or even an unexamined, Feeling, perhaps that, that I would suggest all of us perhaps have. Um, so, what happens when um, that innate feeling of there's this bit in me that just you know that is constant, that that knows and that can be trusted? What happens when when we can't trust that, or we don't know if we can trust that? You know, so not only are there these strange changes going on, but your barometer for reality is crumbling underneath you, which really, you know, opens up those questions about well, what what is permanent, what is real, um, and and how do I how do I know, how do I sift the truth out in life? Mm. Um, and that was um, torturous and delightful to play with at the same
0: time. Yeah, yeah, and and here's this is just. This is an if you know you know spoiler. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a lot of spoilers that are radical spoilers if you've already read the book. So by definition, I can't spoil it for you. Um, but like, yeah, there's very much that sense of finding that internal core, that one thing inside you that's unchanging, um, mm. that is, I guess, a centre. Yeah,
1: you know, and what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and what and is, is that, that real?
0: <laughs> and what is that indeed?
1: What is that indeed? Oh, there that, is so I much. This, you've read the book?
0: I, um, I haven't talked about Fred. I don't, I, I'm, I'm, at some point I'm going to talk about Fred, but I don't know if I can do it without spoilers. So we're just going to leave that for the moment. Okay. Another, another character, and I don't know if you're, you're, I feel like you're either getting asked a lot about this character or people are ignoring it to the point that they don't even see it as a character. But one of my favourite characters is Bot. Um, And BOT is a wellness app for tracking and working on your mental health. BOT was extraordinarily endearing. Does BOT have any precedent?
1: Uh, I did a lot of research for BOT. This was before I'd like to point out ChatGTP blew up. Um, So when that happened, I felt, you know, really pleased with myself because I'm like, yeah, sweet, it's real. So I did do a lot of research and there are actually mental health BOTs out there. Mm. Um, that you can you can do this with. There are quite a number of them on the market. Um, I did a lot of research and, and I played uh, around with it a lot um, and very much to Beatrix's mind, um, perhaps because she is so deliberately isolated, um, bot does become um, a personality to her. Um, but when writing bot, I had to remind myself continually that bot is programming, not personality. Mm. Um, so bots information comes from algorithms and 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 searching stuff on the internet for answers. Um, so you know, some of it will be pre programmed type answers to mm. certain prompts from Beatrix and others it will it will go searching. And of course the joy of that is sometimes the answers are contradictory. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which is fun. Um I I really enjoyed Writing bot, but I did have to remind myself um, to pull it back a little bit sometimes. Um, and I was worried that people um, might not find that um, realistic or believable. Um, and I think I got there in the end. And then, of course, ChatGPT happens, and I just mm. relaxed.
0: <laughs> I mean, the whole the I've I've actually had this thought to myself, mucking around with ChatGPT, where I've I've wondered. As I as I interact with this, as I ask questions or um, ask it to respond to information, is is the chat GPT that I am interacting with the same as say the one that you would interact with, or does it change? And and then when you introduce and this is this is again this is the character of Rob. I'm actually going to this isn't a question. I'm coming to a question very much like this later. But is the character of Rob as opposed to the character of Bot? Um, if you know you know people, write it down and look at those two next to each other. Um <laughs> is the character of Rob very similar to the character of Bot or does Rob change based on the interactions that Rob has?
1: I love that question so much. Um, they they are similar but they are definitely not the same. As Bot likes to remind Beatrix continually, I am AI programming. I am programmed to learn from my interactions with you. Mm. So every interaction that Bot and then has with, Beatrix and then um, because you know Fred likes to have fun when she gets her own mm. mental health chatbot called Rob. Um, hers again is quite different. She, if you remember, also goes for the more expensive option that has mm. um, an actual human overseeing it and comes up with a personalized mental health plan um, for her. Um, so it's di- quite slightly different package. Mm. <laughs> there as well, Um, but I would suggest that though they are very similar, um, well, let's call them inverted commas, personalities, um, they are not at all the same, um, which is quite fun when you think about it really, isn't it? So you've got these two programmed um, entities Mm -hmm. um, that people interact with that come from the same thing, the same programming, yet mm-hmm. they change and develop based on the personalities interacting with them. All right, um, you
0: realise you're, you're describing nature versus nurture, but for AI.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and the answer is it's both.
0: Mm, yeah. <laughs> I um I have a I have a much bigger question about this later, but I I wanted to note also how fascinating it was, and I I'm I am assuming there was a, an enormous amount of deliberation in this, watching you twin the voyeuristic intrusions in Beatrix's life from both Bot and Fred, and we had this sense of one watching, influencing from the outside in an uninvited way, and the other. Completely internalized and and completely um, embedded, but be, in this really welcome way. I just that that was really fun to watch you twin that and and see the different uh, see the different responses that Beatrix was having.
1: Oh, you just made me so happy. Um, yes, yeah. um, and and that was fun to play with too, um, particularly. Um, You know, and again, thank you, universe. We'll give you a fist bump. That whole, it's blown up recently, the whole therapy speak and the the double-edged sword that is that, that therapy speak has become this amazing thing that helps people out. It's all over, you know, various social media things. Um, But at the same time, it can be used nefariously. It can be used to gaslight people or to um, really selfishly get what you want while not giving anyone else's needs. Um, the same consideration and, and using this language to do so, which is a slight tangent. But um, certainly um, I do find, um, I guess, how how in popular culture and in, in modern life we use um, these amazing uh, insights um, and, and research and, and language that we've developed through psychology and understanding how the human mind works, the human mind being the mind of a social animal, mm. right, um, uh, which maybe we'll come back to later, the whole animal thing. I feel we need to touch on that. Um, but um, I forget, just found that um, really satisfying um, to write with and write about um, and, and using that language and, um, you know, th- th- there's an answer to everything and everything is, is fixable. Um, and then you've got you know Fred, who essentially, in many ways is um, whether Beatrix wants it or not, setting out to achieve the same goals as bot mm. in some ways. Um, but from a very different angle and from a different perspective, but really they're 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 yeah working in, in, ta- in you know in tandem, um one from inner and one from outer. Um, which um, yeah, it was it was really fun to write um, but but don't <laughs> I don't know if it was intentional when I started out doing that yeah um, and and they kind of they they do meet in the middle like even though they're very different perspectives, particularly later on, you know Fred Fred's perspective on on humanity and what makes humans tick um, I think, um is is very insightful and probably not that much different to what bot would come up with
0: i think it's yeah i think it's it's quite gorgeous watching the generosity of spirit like quite often when we have competing or at least parallel ideas there's a sense that one has to overcome the other but there was a real there was a real sense of i think goodness so it, it was i think for beatrix it was most surprising as well the way when she not opened up to it but just stopped getting in the way of it there was a lot of generosity just in the day to day and she she and just had to stop pushing it away
1: yeah absolutely and um i you know so she I think one thing that helped with that perhaps was that she would just be as blunt with bot as she is with people, you know, mm. F off now. And bot would be like, okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she was constantly not being pushed back against in a way or getting negative feedback. And I think, mm. you know, in that way bot kind of just wormed its way in, not that it's real, it's programming, not personality. Mm. Um, but it sort of, I, it was just what she needed um, and it worked so well for her. Yeah.
0: Right. We stand beside Beatrix on the precipice of an existential cliff with a shadowy figure behind us. And at this point, I want to say that I've been speaking with Emily Spur. We are discussing her new novel, Beatrix and Fred. This is the end of the interview if you have not read Beatrix and Fred. If you have read Beatrix and Fred, please stay tuned uh, because, Emily, I want to ask some Fred questions. These are, if not direct spoilers, they are, by their nature, revelatory. Yes, that is it for this part of the conversation with Emily Spur about Beatrix and Fred. No spoilers. No spoilers for you, dear listener. Beatrix and Fred, it's new in the world, and I don't think you've read it yet. Or if you have, well, do you want to hear more? We left you on a cliffhanger there. It is very appropriate for this book. If you want to hear more, if you want to hear the spoiler part of the conversation, let us know. So, you are tuned in to Final Draft. Thank you to Emily Spur for coming in and talking, Beatrix and Fred. And if you want to get in touch and let me know that you want to hear the second part of this interview, you can find Final Draft on social media. You can email us at finaldraft at 2ser.com. You can just reach out. I want to know. Subscribe in your podcast app while you're there, you know. It means you'll be sure to get that second part. My name is Andrew Popeluk. Thank you for joining me. I will be back with more incredible conversations from Australian authors, like part two of this uh, part two of this conversation, if
1: there is demand. But till then, happy reading. Bye for now.